This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, win time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and much more. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit MyFlexLearning.com forward slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's MyFlexLearning.com forward slash B-E. You're listening to the Authority Podcast on the B-Podcast Network. Higher education is a topic of much discussion in our country, particularly in recent years. We've moved beyond the period when it was taken for granted as an obvious or objective good for everyone, and we're now engaging in a more critical analysis. What types of secondary and post-secondary education are available? What outcomes are they truly delivering for students? What are the downsides? How are we preparing students to make the right decisions and choose a successful path for them? Uh, my guest, Dr. Juliet Nelson, is an industrial and organizational psychologist, educator, entrepreneur, and author of the book, Sharing My Lens, The College Experience. And we're going to discuss the higher education question, mainly from the student's perspective. And we're also going to consider how educators and other influential adults in their lives can help make a difference in what students need to do to prepare for success in and beyond their higher education experience. So, Julia, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. In my work, I've collaborated directly with hundreds of educators to support their success. Do you know which of their ed tech frustrations comes up time and again? The sheer number of tools out there and the difficulty of knowing which ones schools like theirs are using to get results. IXL is different. Not only does it perform the functions of dozens of tools, it's currently delivering results for one in four U.S. students, including those in 95 of the top 100 districts. Another major pain point that comes up when a school is excited to implement a new tool only to find out the teachers hate it. Yikes. It helps to know that IXL is loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, saving them time on prep work while enabling them to better support student learning. IXL is research proven to accelerate achievement. Studies across 45 states show that IXL schools outperform non-IXL schools on state assessments. And independent research from Johns Hopkins University verifies that IXL meets ESSA Tier 1 standards. With those results combined with IXL's teacher-friendly reputation, 
What more could you ask for? If you have a goal to increase achievement for all students, make sure to find out what IXL can do for you. Visit IXL.com forward slash BE for a demo. That's IXL.com forward slash BE. And um, I kind of want to get right into this. One of the things that you uh, clearly articulated um, in your bio on your website is that you're passionate about empowering people to achieve the highest standards of their purpose. So I want to ask you about that first and ask first, what does that mean to you? And where do you start with that? You know, do most people that you work with come to you knowing, you know, clearly what their purpose is and you're helping connect them with how they can live that out? Are a lot of people looking for guidance and sort of establishing their purpose? So what does that process look like for you? Right. So I say purpose um, to uh, differentiate it from potential. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is a story that I kind of, I not kind of, but I I like to refer to. Um, I'd applied for years ago, I'd applied for a promotion um, to become a program manager. And um, I did well in the interview. I, you know, I came with my A game, 30, 60, 90 day plan, brought in my portfolio, um, you know, data charts and all of that. Um, I didn't get the role and that's okay. You know, that it happens. Right. But I remember the selecting official reaching out to me and calling me and letting me know that I had the potential, but I didn't have the experience, the extent of the experience she was looking for. And I don't know why, but it offended me so much And I remember calling my dad crying and I'm like, the only thing you've called me since I was a kid was doctor, lawyer, and president. How dare somebody reduce me to being a program manager? And it really caused me to sit back for a moment and think about all the times that we use potential and we limit ourselves, we limit other people. I mean, they even say you don't make friends or you don't date people for potential, right? Right. Because you can say, oh, this person has the potential to, I don't know, get therapy, to get a job, to this, to that. And they never live up to that expectation that you've made for them. But the thing about purpose, it's assigned to you, right? So whether you consider it a divine a, a divine purpose or the universe or just, hey, this is what I'm meant to do in this, on this earth, it's more that, that objective that you're meant to fill. And it doesn't have to look like a specific thing, right? Um, since we're speaking about educators, right, on your platform, on the Authority Podcast, you know, you can teach in so many ways. And I know for myself, as a kid, I wanted to be a classroom teacher um, and I did not end up being a classroom teacher. I have taught in the classroom, right? But I'm a children's choir director and I teach children music. And in that experience, they learn leadership, they learn teamwork, they learn community, they learn about service. Um, I also do private tutoring. So that's another way of teaching. I've been involved in developing training and development programs. That's another way that you're actually passing information and you're educating people in different ways. And so all that, still allows you to walk in your purpose. And so that's why I say, um, you know, that I I like to empower people to achieve the highest standards of their purpose. Um, and I say highest standards because um, we're, we're ever evolving and we're constantly learning. And I think sometimes that's another thing. We limit ourselves of saying, okay, I reached this place and I'm good. It's okay to be content, right? And I don't want to take that away from anyone. But when you understand that you are constantly evolving, it allows you to 
continually remain in a place of self-reflection, of self-awareness, right? Of looking at how your behaviors impact other people, of looking at how your behaviors impact yourself, right? What is that thing that allows me to live better, to do better, to be healthier, to make better decisions, to make wiser decisions, and so on and so forth. And so that's why I speak to the highest standard. In terms of where people start, that's a very good question. Um, I think I just usually kind of tap into like, what is your lived experience, right? What is that lived experience that has brought you to where you are today? And how do you use that, right? So that you can make an impact. And the impact doesn't always have to be you having tens of thousands of, or hundreds and millions of followers on Instagram. Sometimes it can be you making an impact in your neighborhood, in your small community, in your home. Um, and so in working with my clients and even, you know, chatting with friends and so on and so forth. I think that's where the conversation starts is what does your impact look like? Um, I also give, this is one of one of my students uh, or former students. I remember my first session with him. I usually try to ask, what do you want to do when you grow up? Not what do you want to be, right? Because especially with children, we always say, what do you want to be? And they say, I want to be an astronaut. I want to be a nurse. I want to be this. I want to be that. And so what happens is that we we have them tied to this one thing and then they go to school, right, to study to be an astronaut, but they didn't realize they can use that same STEM education and maybe work at NASA or work at the Federal Aviation Administration or, you know, another a challenger center or something instead of being an astronaut, or they can work with data and coding and software and so on and so forth. But again, that's what happens when you understand your purpose and you're not tied to a specific title, right? So I asked one of my students, what do you wanna do when you go up, grow up? And this is a kid who at the time, I don't know if he still does, but he loved Fortnite, okay? And this was the year of Fortnite. And he was a person, he came on, he said, listen, Miss Juliet, my friend is on hold. You got 15 minutes in this lesson because I need to go finish my game of Fortnite and my competition, whatever it is. And I remember asking him, I'm like, okay, let's slow down. What do you wanna do? And he says, I wanna play video games. And I said, for, for the rest of your life? And he said, yes, I want to play video games when I grow up. And so I remember engaging him in a conversation and said, what if you created games like Fortnite for other kids to play? And that jogged his memory. And sometimes there were times he didn't feel like, you know, again, he's in video game mode. He doesn't feel like learning. And so me taking him to the back end of my website so he sees the coding, right? And he sees what happens in the back end so that he can see the front end. Now it intrigues his interest, right? But you're tapping into, again, what am I meant to do and how can I make an impact instead of what is this static being that I'm, or this box that I'm supposed to step in, so. Yeah, that's a great example of how those, you know, conversations with the individual learners of any age can lead right. to uh, kind of uncovering, okay, where's the opportunities to, really tap into that, um, you know, innate motivation and interest and in the things that engage us. And, you know, we've had discussions um, over here amongst ourselves lately about things like esports relating to the video mm -hmm. gaming and uh, understanding that a lot of people don't really know much about that or what it is. But when you dig into it, you say, well, look, there's a whole economy around this, right? Yeah, there yeah. are a lot of opportunities here. And it's not necessarily the thing that everybody should do or focus exclusively on. However, right. you know, anything that you're really um, passionate about, you have to become really good at 
opens up opportunities. And when we know these things about kids and, and, you know, as you talked about purpose and I, I you know, I like to, you mentioned kind of lived experience, right. In those conversations. Cause a lot of times it thinks to me, like it is the type of thing that only the, only the rare person discovers what they really feel to be their purpose at a young age. Right? <laughs> a lot of times it takes a lot of lived experience, trial yeah. and error, um, going in a direction in our life or career that we thought was the thing we wanted to do. And then realizing, you know what, I'm not where I'm supposed to be. Right. Um, and it may require, a, you know, reflection and sitting and listening and waiting mm -hmm. and, and, you know, a word that as it relates to you know, professions that a lot of our listeners certainly will be familiar with is vocation, right? The thing right. that you're called to do that right. may be also your profession, but it is right. separate from, um, and, you know, the way you may evaluate your progress toward your purpose or to, to achieving the highest standards of your purpose is a separate, you know, evaluation from how you may, right. you may, um, you know, think about how you're succeeding in your career, right? They're, they're, right. They, they could go together and hopefully they do. And most people eventually maybe will find that, but mm -hmm. it's also separate. It's a separate because it's, it's a totally subjective personal evaluation mm -hmm. of saying, okay, I'm doing X, Y, Z. I'm doing great in my job here, but am I having the impact I want to have? Am I reaching right. what I want to have? Am I really, right. is this really what I'm meant to be doing? Um, right. And, uh, and it's, you know, very interesting to think about how that those things, I mean, they're ever evolving. Right? It's, right. It's, and you'll uh, notice that too, if you really take the time to sit and reflect, you might notice that you are fulfilling your purpose. It just looks different, mm -hmm. right? It, it looks different in every season in your life. And I think this is something that I've tried to do. I always try to ask, like, why am I here? Who am mm -hmm. I helping? And why am I here? Right? My first job was Marshall's and I absolutely hated it. Um, and I'm sorry to whoever my first managers are, if they do listen to this, I hated that job. I was 16 years old. I didn't care for it, but imagine if my thought process was, you know, what is my, what is the end goal here? Who am I impacting? Right. There could be that person who had a horrible day and the, they become my customer. They walk in the store and the fact that I walked them over, right. Maybe it was a single mom. And I said, Hey, this might look cute for the new baby. And that changed her entire day, right? And in that sense, I'm still making an impact, right? Um, and I think sometimes what happens is, yeah, we we go into a new space, we get excited in the beginning, and then we get used to it and we get bored. Um, and especially when you're looking in today's day, you know, there's the encouragement of you don't have to be in a box, right? You can form one, more than one business, or you can have your business and work full time, or you can change careers. It doesn't matter how deep you are in this career, or you can change jobs. You know, um, but I think sometimes if we take the time to really look back and say, okay, what is what is the impact that I've made or what have I been able to achieve? Or perhaps is there a reason that I needed to be there, right? To position me for where I am. We might find that we're kind of on this journey. And as you said, it may not be, and I don't know if there's ever like an end result, right? Because again, we're always evolving, but it may not be as far along as we'd like to be but it's still kind of part of our learning experience and our lived experience so that it kind of propels us for the next step, so. Right, yeah, and, and it's identifying those slices in mm -hmm. what we're doing that we, that we, you know, 
do enjoy. Okay. I, you know, I, I really don't think that the place for me was in this retail environment, but I did like it when I had the opportunities to really interact with the customer. And you know, what really seems interesting is, you know, I, I'm, I'm looking into nursing because, you know, that's right. more about patient care and it's all, you know, it's, it's really kind Bingo. of that, that reflection and thinking about, okay, there's pieces of what we're involved in Absolutely. or who we're interacting with. Um, so let's kind of pivot toward, you know, the book more specifically. Sure. And, and of course it's a, it's kind of leading, right. A lot of students toward um, discovering right. the purpose in their lives and the ways that they may go about achieving it. So, um, you know, before you wrote the book, what made you kind of come to the conclusion that this was an important book to write? And then how did you go about preparing to write it? Right. So for the record, I, I wish I had a very romantic story about, <laughs> about how I came to write the book where I was kind of on a pilgrimage and um, I made a discovery and I'm like, I'm going to write a book and then all that. That did not happen. Um, I also was one of those students who hated school. Um, I didn't have a lot of students that looked like me. Um, and I, I mean, it, I, I had a nice, I would like to say I have decent high school life, but again, I didn't have students that I could identify with. Um, and so I didn't really enjoy it. I got the work done. I got the grades and that's all that mattered to me. Um, now years pass. I mean, I, graduate with my bachelor's, my master's. I'm working on my PhD at this moment. And I think someone had offered me the journey of um, the opportunity to, you know, write a book under their company. And I, you know, we had a long conversation. I said, okay, you know, I'll follow back up with you when you're ready. But it was more supposed to be a memoir about my life. Um, And sometime after that, I remember um, saying like, it like it coming to my mind, like I'm, I need to call this person and follow up. And there was a voice that I heard that was like, chill out. You don't even know your story yet. And I'm like, oh, and then it, it was like this epiphany of like, this is not the person who's going to share your story. So in my head, I'm like, so who's going to tell the story? Cause it's not going to be me. And eventually I just had to like pause. Right. I'm like, okay, so, so what do I do? Do I call this person? Do I not? Um, and so I think I was in this state of, oh, okay, perhaps I do need to share my story. I just don't know how. And I'm fighting with the thought of, am I supposed to be the one to like do this by myself? And I remember having a conversation with one of my mentees and, um, we were just chatting it up about all the things that we wish we knew before we went into college. And I think that's when the light bulb went off. Um, and I'm like, that's it that's, that's what I'm going to write about. And so that book, um, it was very spur of the moment. Um, I, I wrote it and published it in three weeks. Um, I do not recommend anyone try it at home. It's very, it's, it's a very intense process. You are sitting and pulling all nighters. And this was going to be also the official launch of my publishing company. So I really had to run it through Junuri Publishing's system right? So I'm the editor. I'm having to establish the processes and so on and so forth. So it was a very intense process, um, you know, um, combination of writing and you're having to force yourself to, to think creatively, which is also challenging. I think what helped was being in the PhD program that I was in, because now I, at that point I'm studying psychology. So now it's like, okay. And I'm working with students. 
um, more closely. So you're understanding a lot of the questions they're asking. You're you're seeing like the nuances that are just not being pieced together for them. So I was able to really take a very comprehensive approach with the book. Um, at least that was my intention. Um, and yeah, here we are years later. Yeah, no, I mean, and it's it's so uh, interesting to me personally to think about, you know, these a book with this focus and how it comes to be and and how helpful it can be, because one, as I kind of, you know, mentioned in the introduction, right, it's, it's a time right now when we're rethinking some of the uh, assumptions of the past several decades around higher right. education and what it's supposed to be and who it's for right. and what the best fits are, but also um, you know, in, in my personal experience, it's probably representative of a lot of students, but I've had the ability through, you know, the work I've done in my career to learn more and more and more about it, where I was a student who was, you know, toward the top of my class in high school. So I was mm -hmm. the one that um, didn't receive a lot of support toward higher education because I was the kid where they were able to say that Bingo. he's going to be fine. We don't need to worry mm -hmm. about him. Right. And, you know, and I had parents who had gone to college, but each of them um, were first generation and they applied to one school and went, right. It was a different right. time. It wasn't the same as it right. became with all the competitive admissions process. Right. And I had very good SAT scores, but no, certainly nobody knew about SAT tutoring, or if they did, they assumed it was for kids who are really struggling, right? All of those right. things that, you know, that nobody tells you when they right. just assume, you know, it. Um, right. so there, and, and then later on I learned, uh, you know, after I started to, well, after I had gone to college thinking, hmm, you know, yeah, I don't know, like, academically, I was prepared for this, but how prepared was I to make the decisions that I needed to make? And it was not mm -hmm. until really my junior year that I started to really right. get a grasp of what was going on. And then and later some people on drop I... it at senior year. Some people are like one semester out and they're <laughs> like, wait, no, what are we doing? Absolutely not. Stop the press. Right. And, and I was lucky to keep my head, you know, afloat um, because that's, you know, it, it could have gone much worse. <laughs> um, and right. then, you know, later on down the road, when I started working in this field in education and I learned, well, um, you know, I think there's one, I think there's one state, I can't remember which state, but otherwise it's at least 49 states are nowhere close to the recommended student to counselor ratio, right? I mean, wow. it's just a capacity issue. And I think, yeah. okay, well, that makes sense now, right? Because, all right, if I went to a high school of um, 1200 students and there were like 10 counselors, mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. All right. The, you know, the numbers. Okay. Yeah. There's not that much right. um, to go around. And so these are all the things where it's like, yeah, it does make sense to understand there's resources outside of that, that can right. supplement it and complement it. Cause there's just very real concerns that just can't write in that can't be addressed by the people who are on the ground, right? There's systemic right. things <laughs> where we need to really rethink the way the right. budget are allocated and funding and Absolutely. the opportunities that are left out because but ultimately like whoever's in the building is doing the best they can and when you think mm -hmm. about it from that pov to say okay if there's 180 days in the school year and i have 120 students that i'm responsible mm -hmm. for well what's How the math on that all. it's not great right <laughs> it's not, right it's not good <laughs> right. right um so anyhow um what are some of the things you know as you certainly were writing the book and they're in the book that that you decided, you know what, these are things that students need to think about before they ever go to college and mm -hmm. potentially before they even decide they're going to go to college. 
Right. And, and I'll say this um, to, to answer your question and also piggyback on what you said. And thank you for sharing that because that's a very, you have a very unique perspective with that, right? We do think and put a lot of attention on the kids that probably don't have a lot of resources, right? Mm -hmm. But it's interesting here from the perspective of someone who's like, yeah, I graduated close to the top of my class, but nobody thought about me either, right? Um, and, And I identify with that because I took college classes in high school, right? And so you assume you took college classes in high school, you are ready. Right. And then you get to college, right? And I remember starting my days in high school at like seven in the morning and my first classes in college were at eight. And I was like, why am I so tired? And why am I struggling? And you want me to read all of this by Wednesday? You know, it it was it was almost like a culture shock, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and again, there's the assumption that yeah, you're taking these college classes, and that was always I remember that being a theme, right? From elementary school going to middle school, they're like, once you get to middle school, it's gonna be hard. You know, you can't slack. And then you you get to middle school, and they give you the same thing for high school and the same thing for college. But even then, you're still not ready, right? Right. And then there's the the Again, the student to counselor ratio, it's like that in high school, it's like that in college, right? The you you come from one level, one extreme of you have a high school of, you know, quite a few hundred students to a college of thousands of students, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think with that being said, what I wanted to emphasize is first and foremost the self-awareness portion, right? Understanding your learning style. Um, like literally mentally preparing yourself, understanding your learning style, um, really identifying your strengths, your opportunity areas, right? Identify with those learning, and, and I would say preferred learning styles, right? Identify how you best interact with your environment. And I know they have personality assessments. Some don't recommend it. I enjoy them um, because it does help with self-reflection. I'm a big Myers-Briggs girl, Myers-Briggs girl, right? And I think in doing the Myers-Briggs assessment, it was not necessarily like, okay, I'm I'm stuck to this INFJ, but it did help me to reflect on myself and say, okay, in what aspects am I more introverted, right? In what aspects do I really need some time by myself so I can regroup and then come back and, you know, learn or interact with classmates and so on and so forth. And so when you're able to do that work, that allows you to be more prepared, at least for the environment you're going to step into. Mm-hmm. That also allows you to be more intentional about your search, right? If you know you learn better, you retain information when you see pictures and graphs and so on and so forth, you have no business in an lecture where they're talking for two hours and just talking, right? Because it makes it difficult for you to retain it. And if you so happen to be in a class, right? where you do have a lecture, maybe it's the opportunity to say, hey, maybe I need to ask for an accommodation so I can have, you know, so I can record the class or whatever the case may be. So, you know, those are the things that I really wanted to include that self-awareness and identifying your needs. And to add to it, taking ownership of your learning journey. I think the way we're all raised is okay, we're either going to depend on our parents to do it for us, right? We come from being in high school and if we get a bad grade, um, our parents show up to the school, right? Or if we're misbehaving, our parents show up. It's always the parents show up, the parents show up, right? But if we probably were taught to have a little bit more ownership, right? This is, these are your classes. How do you feel about these classes? 
Which ones are you more strong in, right? How do we pair them up? I think that would be a very great way of helping with organization for when you step into college, right? Because what happens, we get into college. Now it's not our parents anymore. It's our guidance counselor, right? Now they're the ones just throwing classes together. And I don't want to say throwing, but they're they're arranging our schedule, but they don't really, they don't know what our, our strengths and weaknesses are, right? Maybe I'm taking a calc class and a history class, but what if English is my strong suit? And calc and history, I need to slow down with those. So perhaps I could have separated those into two separate semesters instead of having those two things that are opportunity areas in the one semester. Now I'm pulling out my, my, my hair so that I can survive this semester. So those are really some of the things that I wanted to think of that I wanted to include in the book, right? Making sure that you're mentally, emotionally prepared and you're coming in, having a better understanding of who you are and what you need. Of course, you're younger, so we're, you're, we're constantly evolving, but at least who am I at this point in time? What do I like? How do I interact with people? If I know that I study better when I'm by myself, then that's helpful in when I go into college. If I know that I'm better off studying with a group of friends, or if I know that maybe I need something hands-on, maybe it's not college that I need. Maybe I, I want to be an electrician. And I think, you know, we also need to shift that narrative, right? And only thinking that, you know, going to college to get this engineering, doctor, lawyer, this almost academic, in a sense, degree where, where it's, you know, we're learning theories and we're learning concepts. Sometimes, hey, listen, I can provide value as a welder. I can provide value as a seamstress and they are needed, right? They are needed. Their jobs are valuable. Their contributions are valuable. And sometimes that's how students can learn better. And we also need to create the space for that. Um, and so, yeah, when when I wrote the book and considering that next step after high school, I think those are the things I, I kept in mind, um, taking ownership and knowing yourself. So. And now a quick break for a word from our sponsor, MyFlex Learning. Let's talk about flex time in schools. The potential benefits to our students make it totally worth exploring. There's more time for personalized learning, increased choice and agency for students, and the increased engagement that comes along with it, dedicated time for intervention, and overall, as school leaders, it provides you and your faculty more tools to increase academic achievement. But the implementation and management of flex time can be a challenge. Tricky logistics and a lack of clear accountability systems can prevent teachers from buying in and can hold you back from ensuring students make good use of their time. That's why I'm pleased to share that MyFlex Learning provides a solution to these challenges and more. MyFlex Learning helps you create and manage flexible time for any purpose. And with the seamless SIS integration, a student locator, flexible daily rostering, and intuitive mobile app, it eliminates the common challenges of implementation and management. If you want to see for yourself, visit myflexlearning.com forward slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off the first year of use. That's myflexlearning.com forward slash BE. You'll learn all about MyFlex Learning, what it can do for your school, and you'll receive a $500 off offer for your first year. Check it out. You know, I, I hate to go back. Backward, but I, I realized in my head, my math wasn't adding up and I actually think it's pertinent. 
it was more like 2,400, 2,600 students in my high school and maybe about 10 counselors, not 1,200. Um, so the point being that that's not going to be a surprise, right, to our to our listeners, but that sometimes the hardest thing um, when you're in these positions, the hardest thing can be to, you know, to come to the conclusion about the things that you can't quite address because the resources just aren't there. And right. to say, okay, how can I proactively uh, identify another solution? Um, mm -hmm. You know, how, how do we proactively really engage families in these processes so that they right. are um, able to have a more hands-on approach, even if they're not starting with a whole lot of information, because right. ultimately, like, they're the ones that are going to have more opportunities to, to make a difference here um, and to really understand, you know, what what are the things that the student is particularly interested in, where mm -hmm. might they be most successful, where would they flourish, um, right. you know, and seeing it through. And, and one of the biggest things is that it's right. not just about getting to the next level, but it's to, through, beyond, mm -hmm. and doing so successfully, right? And it's, yeah. and it's that need to think ahead and say, okay, yes. if I am, if we are the high school, whatever that means, and right. we have a student who has graduated from our school. Okay, they're you know that doesn't necessarily mean that we did our job because were they right. when they graduated were they ready for whatever was next? Same thing at the colleges and the colleges, mm -hmm. I think, is where this question is even uh, more important because I because I I would say that higher education has um, not taken this as seriously in my in my uh, observation as as k-12 you know and they had the more recent but thinking like what what more do we have to be doing to really to truly be serving our student body right and yeah. that's it's there's this whole group that i would call like the the middle class of of higher ed institutions which means like the non ivs you know complete mm -hmm. upper tier that people are going to want to go to no matter what forever and but also not the um, either two year schools or, you know, state schools or, you know, others mm -hmm. who are some of them by nature a, a little bit more innovative or at least a little more thinking about competency based models or the skills mm -hmm. kids are learning or connecting it to a career path because right, they know that right. they have to demonstrate that to attract students and, and they really right. are thoughtful. And then there's all the other four year schools kind of in the middle that have the price tags that line mm -hmm. up maybe with that, <laughs> that upper tier, um, mm -hmm. but have in some ways maybe coasted on the system that has existed here post-World War II, right, where right, right, it right. was like, okay, there's always going to be plenty of students that want to come to yep. college, yep. and we offer them a great campus life and good programs, and yeah, there's all these courses they could take or whatever, and but they make of it what they make of it, versus, right. okay, do we still have some responsibility to provide more guidance and more right. preparation and really get them thinking from the day they step on campus about mm -hmm. how each thing that they're doing, each credit they're earning, right? Each program they're participating in, how does that connect to their pathway to what happens after they leave us? Right, and that it, that brings me to think, sorry to cut you off, but that brings me to think of practicality, practicality and also tangibility, right? when we're getting, when we're leaving high school, we're going to college, when we're leaving college, we're going to the, to the, there's, it's sometimes it's, there's the lack of practice, right? And tangibility, right? 
when I'm in math class and I'm learning about the Pythagorean theorem, and I was one of those kids who were like, what am I going to do with the Pythagorean theorem? I want to study business and I want to count money. What does Pythagorean, like learning about triangles and angles mm-hmm. have to do with me counting my money? But let's say in a math class, they're like, listen, you might want to buy some land one day if we're talking building wealth, right? right. And then we tag that in. Now we're having a conversation, Right. Um, especially now where we have social issues and politics and so on and so forth. If in a history class, it was a little more practical, like this is why it needs to matter to you, right? You're going to have to vote one day. You're going to have to make decisions that impact yourself, your parents, your children, et cetera, et cetera. Now it's piquing my interest. And then we get when we get into the college space, as you said, really trying to line it up with something that I can apply in the workspace. I think unless you're really going into the medical field where you have practicums and stuff like that, depending on the um, institution, for a lot of fields, you're not required to do internships, mm-hmm. right? I went to school for business. That was my undergrad. I wasn't required to do internships. So how was I going to come in as an entry level candidate for a job requiring three to five years of experience? Because you know how that is for the entry level right, roles, right. right? So again, if if it's not tangible, if it's not something I can relate to, and oftentimes you have a lot of students who say, listen, I don't need to go to college to succeed. And there is some validity to that. But the the, the part that they're missing is you're supposed to still be learning, Right. The Mark Zuckerbergs of the world and all that, that we say they dropped out of school. They dropped out of Ivy League schools, number one. Mm, But number two, they still made sure that they learned everything they had to do so that they can gain and achieve the success that they have. And I think that's that's where the disconnect is. Um, We have a lot of curriculums that focus more on theory, right? We have all these theories, but it's like, how do I take this theory and put it into the workplace? Right. Mm -hmm. How is it so that I can touch it? And I think perhaps that also making it for it just feeling so far away, it makes it now challenging for me to understand what I actually want to do when I graduate. Right. I might come into the classroom. I'm like, yeah, I want to I want to be I don't know. I want to be an engineer and I'm learning all this stuff, but it's not as practical for me or I want to be a lawyer and it's not as practical for me. And it's also not as tangible. It's not something that I can really see myself doing. So now I'm like, no, I want to throw the whole thing away because I don't know how I'm supposed to do this. How am I going to make an impact? You know, Um, and so those are like the two themes um, that I was hearing in a sense, the two recurring Mm -hmm. things that I was hearing what you're saying really mm-hmm. making it so that I can touch it. I can imagine myself doing this and applying it in the workspace and making it practical where it is something that I can transition. Um, but that's an opportunity, I would say, from high school um, and um, higher education. That's something, that's an opportunity area for both of those levels. Right. And and really, you know, one of the things, for example, that comes up a lot, of course, with um, in illustrating how, you know, enormous some of the decisions are that mm. 17, 18 year olds are asked to make oh, yeah. is around the financial commitments. And okay, you know, if, if a student takes out student loans, it's like, well, you're, you're asking an 18 year old to make a decision about whether or not it's a good financial decision to take out X amount in loans and blah, 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 and how are they, but there's also mm-hmm. all these other related things that are worth yeah. thinking about. And that can be figured out like you said you know for some people say well i can be successful without going to school uh without going to college you you can be you can but you have to really think through okay one what 
What skills do I have? What do they relate to? How durable Mm -hmm. are they? What, as best as we can tell, and this is really challenging, you know, what does the future of the economy maybe look like? Am I prepared Mm -hmm. for that? You know, in some ways, sometimes I experienced the whiplash of, I was like the last, you know, everybody that was like, just a little bit younger than me, for example, I think it was really drilled into their head that they needed to learn at least something about like coding and computer science, right? And it was like, That's okay, and, but now, you know, I don't know, what, what does the next future hold? Well, with right. AI technologies, mm-hmm. a lot of what they learned may become, you know, and it may come back Absolutely. to, okay, right. maybe, you know, it's, it's not so much about the knowledge economy, but, you know, because sometimes I'll hear like, 16 year olds or what, you know, there's a lot of really smart kids out there who have learned how to make a whole lot of money on YouTube or something, right? Oh, yeah. TikTok. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, what do I need college for? But it's like, I don't know. I don't know in 20 years, the things that you're doing now, what does that turn into, right? Yeah. Is it smart to at least get that foundation? And, you know, yeah. maybe you never exactly use it, <laughs> but, but you have it. Because, you know, perhaps there's an expiration date on, especially when we're talking about third party platforms that could be here today, gone tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, you know, what are, but what are the component skills, competencies, what's the network you're building? And I want to talk about that too. Um, And actually, let's get right into that piece about the network of, you know, this, this is a, one of those concepts that can be, number one, it can be a foreign concept too. It can have these kind of negative or at least slyly dismissive connotations around what networking is. And two, it can be really challenging for students who are really responsible for building their own network. They're not having one that's being handed to them by their family or, you know, oh, I, I, I always have a family friend here or there kind of thing and figuring out, okay, what is a network? How do I get one? And then how do I use it? Um, And I know that's kind of part of your process. So, you know, talk us through that. Yeah. And, and I'm glad you brought that up because I, I would, I identify to an extent with that experience. You know, I had a very strong church community um, that, you know, it, that, that was the village that raised me, but I, I do also know the experience of, you know, maybe not having access to jobs. Um, when I say I'm talking like your Googles and you're having that access early on. Um, because again, my parents, you know, my dad's a school teacher, my mom's a dietitian, she works for the county. Um, and so those are where their resources are. Um, but I mean, there are some ways to maneuver it. Um, and I, this is not a one size fits all. You know, you have, Some students that might feel more comfortable to keep in touch with professors. I've seen that, right? Mm -hmm. Where you notice um, a lot of students, you know, they're able to get on research or they're able to get get, um, internships and so on and so forth because they build these meaningful relationships with their professors, right? So that can be one opportunity to say, hey, can I learn a little bit more about what you do? I know when I was an undergrad, again, a lot of things were just not tangible for me. They they just seemed so far away. So I see these professors. I remember my, one of my late professors, he used to come in with a stack of uh, bylaws and operating agreements. It was like these, these binders that he always came in with. And he's like, this is where I have my articles of organization and this and this and this, and all of these are businesses. But again, like I can't identify with that. I don't, I don't know the first, second or last thing. And it, it didn't make sense to me that he was a business owner. 
right? Um, I have an accounting professor. All I saw him was as my accounting professor. And he looked like he worked on perhaps Wall Street or this big, mm -hmm. you know, corporate office. Be you know, he dressed well, he dressed the part and so on and so forth. But again, it, it was just so far away. But if only, you know, sometimes it helps for professors to have these conversations and say, this is where I've worked, right? This is the work that I do outside of who you see standing before you, right? And perhaps lending, I know it can be overwhelming. So that's up to us, of course, what the professor's comfortable with. But maybe instead of only having, um, you know, sessions, courses where, you're only doing instruction, maybe allow students to ask you, have conversations and ask you about what you do, right? Because that's how you start to build your network, right? That's how mm -hmm. students build a network. And that's how the professor allows the students to build the network. Um, what I've also found is there's not as much awareness. Um, and this is from my upbringing. Um, and those are my network now. There was not as much awareness in joining professional networks. They're there, right? right? You can join as a student. You can have the $25 a year membership. But for some reason, I don't, I don't see them, I don't see those themes ring as loudly as they do for professionals who have the years of experience. Mm -hmm. And I think it would be also helpful for networks to not always be so rigid on research focus. And that this depends on the field, right? Because the challenge you find there is maybe every student doesn't want to be a professor, right? Not every student wants to work in a lab or not every student wants to do studies, right? Maybe they want to work in a company that actually, again, the tangibility, right? That they bring the results and so on and so forth. So really the question becomes how are networks also trying to bridge with the students mm -hmm. and making it something where I'm not only going to be working in a lab or working on publishing papers or working toward being a college professor, but I can contribute value in some agency, some organization or for myself. Um, but I think that's also valuable for students to understand that you tapping into these professional networks, you know, if you're an engineer, look up association, type the word association and engineer, type up society and, and engineer, and you might find a long list. And now where we have these themes surrounding diversity, equity, and inclusion, you have networks that sometimes target a specific demographic of people, right? Where you're in there with people that might look like you, or you identify with similar lived experiences. Um, and so it gives you that sense of belonging and that sense of community. Um, so I would say, you know, those are opportunities for both students and the networks themselves. Um, and I, I would also say, you know, even your classmates, hold on to them. You know, try to see if you can build meaningful relationships. I know those were the relationships that were helpful for me. You right. know, seeing how you can find a mentor, seeing how you can keep in touch. Because what happens is I know with one of my jobs, it was someone in my church community who had a job. And I was like, listen, I need an internship. I just need help. And he spoke to his boss and his boss said, no, she has a solid resume. Let's bring her in as a paid employee. He mm -hmm. brought me in and I brought another friend in and she brought another friend in. But again, some unfortunately it's not, and I'm not going to say unfortunately, it's not 100% what you know. Mm -hmm. It's also who you know. And depending right. on where you go, one might weigh a little heavily, more heavily than the other. But, you know, keeping that relationship with your, your classmates, 
um, treat your colleagues right. You know, again, if you are flipping burgers at McDonald's or you are hanging up clothes at uh, Target, whatever, still hold on to those relationships because you never know where life will take those colleagues and you never know where you can help them or they can help you. So. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, and as you said, you know, the, the statement about it's not what you know, it's who you know. And then some people say, well, it's not who you know, it's who knows you. And it's kind right. of all of that, right? Because mm-hmm. to me, I might say it's not what you know, it's who knows that you know it, right? It's right, how do right, you right. show what you can do and build those relationships so that there's mm-hmm. that mutual understanding so that you are able to be acknowledged for the skills that you have and the kind of person right. you are. And, right. you know, that who knows you thing is so powerful because in a lot of ways, and some of our listeners, depending on their roles, are either like nodding along to this or saying, oh, this is, you know, this is interesting, but mm-hmm. it's, you know, because you kind of do rise or fall to the level of mm-hmm. your network and particularly to the level of who knows you, because mm-hmm. that is very magnetic, mm-hmm. right? And when we think about people who end up not being as successful as they might have been, or just get stray away from what they what their purpose was or what they thought their yeah. path was. A lot so often it's because they find themselves in, in situations where they don't they're not comfortable because they don't feel like the people they're around really know them. And they're right. more attracted to go do something with the people who do, even if it's kind of mm-hmm. away from what they were intending, right? right? And and but that can be hard to cultivate. But you know, and so much of it goes by. I'm glad that you mentioned the professional associations because I've worked in that space a lot too, and it's so similar to what we talked about with like the colleges and things like. Mm-hmm a lot of those are the memberships are dwindling because nobody mm-hmm. people don't um any longer just it's not just a routine that everybody does everybody signs up for the association anymore and a part of that even though the resources are still really good is that people don't know how to use those networks oh yeah and yeah, and yeah. to say okay it's not just about the journals you get or the mm-hmm. you know the discounts or the benefits and those kind of things um, but it's also about how you engage with the other members of the network and how you build. Right. Um, to me, like one of the pieces of advice that I would give to, you know, young people now thinking about what they want to do in their careers is to really seriously think about how you're building your own identity and professional persona yes. outside of your day job. It's not necessarily, yes. it doesn't necessarily mean a quote unquote personal brand, although it could be that, but it's how, and it's not that you're just a maneuverer, you know, the person who's just always out there trying to go for the next thing and not really giving care to your job, okay. but it's that you need, that's how, that's how you become resilient because yes. you're not solely dependent upon what types of supervisors do you have or what types of mentors you have in your workplace, you know, because you may end up with really great ones that give you opportunities Mm -hmm. and recognize your potential and move you up the ladder. You may have others who really aren't seeing it and Mm -hmm. you need to have that control and autonomy over your own career and really understand Mm -hmm. what's out there and who's out there in those relationships. And, you know, that's a big part of it. If you're part of those kind of professional associations and networks, there's so much you can do with it, but it has to be a proactive thing. It doesn't just come to you. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I, I did see, and this might not be a popular opinion, um, but to your point, um, I've seen 
I often see themes of, of recommending um, people to at least start applying to different jobs, mm-hmm. um, at least after six months. It doesn't mean that you won't stay there for a year to f- 10, 15 years. It can be your dream job, but you never know when things will go south. Mm-hmm. And so as you are either interviewing or connecting with recruiters, at least you're asking questions, right? You're you're getting on someone's radar. Hey, this opportunity didn't work now, but if I am ready to make the next move, there's someone that I I can connect with, right? There's someone I can I can reach out to, or I can say, hey, do you have any openings in your organization, and so on and so forth. We see, I mean, your Googles, your Metas of this world, right? People who are like a few years away from retirement, you know, people who are probably in a company since the that recession in what 2008 right mm-hmm. yeah um you know and now there it's not a last one in last one a first one out it's hey it's luck of a draw you know whoever it is and again it really shows that you want to ensure that you are tapping into that network and and i think you brought up a good point of finding who you are outside of work i think it, it is nice for you to love where you work but what happens is when you become so entrenched in that place, it almost like forms your identity. And so the moment that you are put in a situation where you have to separate yourself from that, and if it so happens, unfortunately, that you were forced to, right, because there was a reduction in force or whatever the case may be, what happens is like you're losing so much of yourself that you don't know how to move forward. Mm-hmm. But as you said, when you're able to step outside of that, you have professional networks or you just know who you are, you know, your hobbies, you know, your skills, you're able to apply them in different ways. Maybe you're you're using your skills to volunteer in the community or you're just finding ways to have conversations and connect with like-minded people. Now, you know, there does come a point where you're like, okay, I do identify with the lived experience at this company. However, that doesn't mean that I can't transition into a role at a different company and provide right. value. Um, but sometimes again, we're so, we we form our identity so much to a company that we don't have the slightest clue of how we could provide value at another. So right. um, I think that was extremely critical that, that you mentioned that. Yeah, and then one last point I'll make on that for, uh, for any teachers who are, tuned mm-hmm. in here still is that um this this can be you know counterintuitive and just kind of opposite of the typical experience i've talked to where right, i've talked to people in uh, that work in school districts to be like I've, I've worked in the same place for 20 years and all my friends are on like their fourth career right but it's just because it's not uh, typically what we're used to it's you know not the way the vocation works however right. um you are needed out there. There are yeah. there are way more, you know, we need way more teachers than what we have. So if you find yourself right. in a school where the culture is not suiting you or things are not, you know, think, you know, think about this, that, that, I mean, I really um, would encourage uh, teachers to, to, to know this, right? And sometimes it's really hard to see from the inside. And I see it from, mm-hmm. you know, working in the field, but not in the schools to say, hey, right. you know, 
<laughs> there is demand for your skills and your experience. Right. And, you know, sometimes it just takes looking to see where else you may have an opportunity um, that comes along before you think that the profession is no longer for you, because realistically, you know, there, there is a lot out there and sometimes it just happens right over the course right. of time, um, whether it's a leadership change or whatever the case may be, where it's just like, I'm just, I'm just, this is no longer where I should be, but it really is about that building right? yeah. versus that job. Um, mm -hmm. And and so, you know, sometimes just being aware and, and looking yeah. around or tapping Absolutely. into your network, you know, who are yes. colleagues that moved around mm -hmm. and, what, and how are they doing now and all those things. Um, so as we're sort of getting closer to to wrapping up here, to circle back to the book, um, you know, I'm sure we haven't touched on anything, but are there a few key takeaways that, you know, things that either we have maybe talked about that are worth reinforcing or things that we haven't touched on that you want to make sure to highlight? So we touched on, uh, I would say, everything, if not most, but I'll, I, I'll highlight them again. The first is, of course, knowing yourself. That's the first part of the book. Um, just taking the time to really understand who you are and what you need. Um, and this becomes extremely valuable, especially when you go into the workplace, because now you can create a work environment that is conducive to you, right? Second is not throwing away those key skills, right? Um, again, I was one of those kids who complained and I'm like, what am I going to do with this? And what am I going to do with that? Um, but especially reading, writing, public speaking, speaking another, learning a, another language, all of those are extremely valuable, right? Maybe you don't see it in college. Um, and I know you mentioned, you know, sometimes, hey, you studied something in school and you may not apply it until like a decade later or five years later. But, you know, every learning experience that you get, every opportunity you get to pick something up, pick it up right? Pick that skill up. You know, public speaking looks like you being on this podcast, right? Um, once upon a time, you may not have imagined yourself speaking on a podcast, right? But that takes a level of pub public speaking. It can be presenting to a room of stakeholders. It can be presenting to a classroom of children. Um, it looks different. Um, writing is key. You know, uh, reading, a, a lot of those skills are so critical. So that's number two. Then number three is, again, you versus your network, right? Um, I like to call it a personal brand. It doesn't necessarily have to be you being a content creator, but it's like, who who do you present yourself as, right? How do you step out into this world, right? Um, and being intentional about building meaningful connections, but also being okay with the fact that your journey does not have to look like everybody else's. Um, and, you know, this is a story I, I, I've had people who've assumed that I had it all together, right, in terms of my career, because I graduated four years out of college. And then after college, I went to South Korea to be a teacher, came back, did a year and a half for my master's. Then I went back, did four years with my PhD, but they're not aware that it took me over 10 years to actually fall into an actual niche. I had a lot of skills, you know, different, you know, jack of all trades, but for me to be in a specific niche or mm -hmm. even a, a closer niche, I would say it took time versus some of my peers yeah, it took them six years to go through school. I know they didn't do a master's program, but they found a niche right out of college or right yeah. outside of their associates or right after community, the two-year you know, 
or right after trade school, they found it immediately, right? And those are the narratives that we don't have. So we don't speak about. So it's important that, again, as you're networking and you're learning about people's lived experiences, you can take what fits you and what works for you, but you don't always have to feel that you're a failure because your journey doesn't look like everybody else's. And I would say those are the top three takeaways. Excellent. Um, Juliet, do you have uh, another book other than your own that you would recommend to your listeners? Could be on any topic, could be something you've read Ooh. recently or not. Um, I will, I don't want to give you a leading question here um, because you can choose whatever you'd like. Um, but I know in your IO psychology work and in your work with, you know, companies that diversity, equity, inclusion is a real focal area for you. We didn't have time to get to that today. We talked about so many different things, but certainly that's uh, an objective for a lot of the leaders who are listening. So if there's anything in that realm or uh, just whatever you think our listeners may enjoy. I will say some of my favorite reads, Grit. It's by, ooh, Angela. Angela Duckworth. Yeah. Duckworth. There we go. I, I absolutely love that book. Um, the talent code. I don't even remember who wrote it. I read half of it and I, I keep failing to get to the end, but I can tell you it has good stuff in it. There's also a book that I recently read. It's called I'm Judging You by Lovey Ajayi. And it, it is a good read and it's not, it's not necessarily theoretically theoretical or academic in nature, but it it she really sits and writes down all of these observations of things that us as human beings do that really kind of low-key make us failures <laughs> at being human. Um, so you know, it could be from talking about the MySpace era or posting our entire lives on social media or you know, shaming people because of their their where they are or how they're presenting themselves. So she really covers a wide variety of things and she calls it, I'm judging you. She is judging us as humanity for all of just these things that we do that, you know, we could really do better. Um, and it's a very good read. It's a very quick read and, and it really gives you a laugh. So I would say um, those are my top three. A last one, um, I would call it Leadership and Self-Deception. And that is a book that really calls you to self-reflection. Um, but those, now I'm at my top four. So yes, those are my four. In terms of DEI books, I I don't know that I've read as many DEI books. I, I read some articles. Um, I've sat, I recently got my certified diversity executive certification, and that was less than six months after my certified diversity professional certification. So I'm coming from reading whole textbooks right, and also following finishing a PhD. So There's just some I'm, light reading. Right? <laughs> so I gave you the light ones. Um, <laughs> perhaps I'll follow up with some of the heavier reads, but um, yeah. Excellent. Well, uh, listeners, we are going to put the links below to find Juliet's book, Sharing My Lens on Amazon and on her website. Juliet, is yes. there anywhere else you'd like our listeners to check out any other websites or social profiles or where they can learn more about what you're working on now? Yes, you can visit my website. Um, and I'm assuming that you'll put it in the link so I don't have to spell it out. But JulietNuriNelson.com. I'm also on Instagram. If you are a student listening, feel free to add me on LinkedIn. I can share 
with you the different things that I do either as an industrial and organizational psychologist, a certified diversity executive, or an entrepreneur. Um, so just make sure you you say that you found me on the Authority Podcast. So I, I don't think that you're trying to scam me or sell me marketing resources. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. All right. um, yeah. <laughs> I've never gotten any of those. Uh, <laughs> excellent. Well, um, yeah, listeners, please do check out those links below and subscribe to The Authority for more in-depth author interviews like this one or visit thepodcast.network online to learn about all of our shows. Uh, Juliet, thanks again for being on The Authority. Thank you so much. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.